Father, we give you thanks for this day that you have given to us. We thank you for gathering us together in this place to be with you. We thank you, Father, for giving your word to us. And we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to receive it. We ask, Lord, for a revelation of who you are. We ask you to speak into our lives. I ask, Lord, that you give me words to speak, but that my own words and thoughts may be forgotten. In Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you to I wonder um, this morning if I might have uh, some volunteers. Three or four or five would be good. You can stay where you are. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Three. Oh, that's a good start. Others might join in. Um, you didn't tell us what it was for. Well, of course not. That takes a bit of time if I tell you what it's for. So, uh, you're at the front, so you get to pick. So. <laughs> Just one. Yeah. Is it okay, Joyce? Thing or a bad thing that you buy in. 
I wasn't sure. I didn't look. I just saw it was a box of assorted ones. And uh, I was glad for you to, to be the guinea pigs because sometimes you bite in and there's like jelly things in the middle. Or, um, yeah, or, or, or different things. Or you take that bite and it's just like, I need a napkin. Because <laughs> you can't always tell from the outside, can you? It's, it's, the, it's the guts of it that say whether it's good or not. And, and around the room, there's most people, it was a good experience. There's one or two that maybe are a bit hesitant on, on whether it was good or not. And at least one, it looked nice, but when, when the taste of what was inside was not very pleasant. So you can't tell by the outside. What makes it good or not is what's on the inside of it. And I think you see where this is headed, don't you? Jesus said something very similar, didn't he, about us, about, about people. What's good or not good comes from within. It's what's inside of us that makes it right or, or not right. The Pharisees had uh, come to Jesus and, and the scribes, and they, were, they would follow him around. And if, if you're familiar with your Gospels, you know they were often checking him out, coming to test him or coming to hear what he had to say. And this time... They had gathered together and they were there with him and they're watching him and they're watching his disciples. Why do you suppose they would be watching his disciples and making a comment about them? Does anyone have an idea? They wanted to impeach him, but why would the disciples make any have anything to do with that? Absolutely, they would be a reflection of him and his teachings. You see, the disciples' job was to become their rabbi. They would follow the rabbi around, they would listen to what he said, they would watch what he did, they would learn everything. They were mentored into life. And so by watching the disciples, they were making a judgment on the rabbi. And their judgment was, the rabbi is not doing a good job because these disciples are not living the way they're supposed to live. You see, they had this picture in their mind. This tradition of the elders is, is something that's worth perhaps explaining a little bit. Through the generations and through, through time, they had, very, they, they had to ask themselves a question, how do we apply God's law in this particular circumstance? And Rabbi so-and-so would say, well, this is how this fits in this circumstance, and Rabbi so-and-so in this circumstance, and so on. So what happened is you get to the place where what do you do if you're walking through the marketplace and you're buying food or you're dealing with something, you want to go home and eat and you don't know what all those people did or where that's food, that food is being or what its situation is or who you've run into before you sit down and eat. So there's this possibility you would have been tainted by being in these places. And so before we eat and before we give thanks to God for this food and, and have it, first we need to, to cleanse off the defilement. And so we wash. You see, this washing had nothing to do with, um, with uh, hygiene. This wasn't the sense of getting the germs off from coming in from the marketplace. So this is not God saying to us, don't wash your hands when you've been out before you eat. No, no, that's, hygiene is good. This was something different. This was almost like some sort of spiritual bug spray. I'm going to try and keep the defilement away from me. I'm going to spray myself. Well, you know, I'm going to wash the dust of that stuff away. The problem was, they got very good 
at taking care of all that kind of stuff. They had all the outward rituals, all the tradition of the elders, they had it nailed. They could tell you precept on precept exactly how far it went. It was down to how many steps you could take on the Sabbath day before it turned into work. And it was a precise number of steps. They were good in that. And in a sense, the intent was in the right direction. It was wanting to be right with God. The problem was they got so wrapped up in that stuff that they, well, the expression Jesus used in a different context was um, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. They majored on the minors to the point that they forgot the major. And so it was that as they lived, they forgot the big commandments. The relationship with God that came from the heart and that was lived out in daily living. And so instead of hearts that were devoted to God, they had minds that were devoted to the rules. And not God's rules in particular, but the rules of, of the, the tradition of the elders. And so it was that as they lived this out, they neglected it. And so Jesus called them hypocrites. And, and it's a word that we've taken to, to sling it as, as kind of a mean thing. But really what it means is, is you have the appearance of one thing, but the truth is different. So that's what he was saying to them. is Because you have got caught up in this little stuff, in these outside things, you've elevated them to be equal with the very word of God or even above the very word of God. In fact, sometimes your rules overrule what God said you're supposed to do. And instead of drawing you close to God, your washings and your steps are not only keeping you from God, they're leading you to injure others and keep others from God. So some of these scribes and Pharisees, the ones that were supposed to be the leaders in the community to draw people closer to God, they couldn't even do it. Because they weren't there themselves. Jesus said, it's not the stuff from outside of you that's causing you to file. It's not whether or not you touched the wrong person, or Joe selling apples didn't wash the apple, or whatever it was. Jesus said, what causes defilement, what keeps you from God, is the stuff that flows out of your heart. And so he just listed a pile of things. Greed. Jealousy, envy, licentiousness, hate, all these kinds of things, that's, that's the defilement. But the scary thing, to me it's, it's a bit scary, is those things are the overflow of the heart. The way somebody described it once, actually the fellow's name was Jack Frost, that's really his name. He's passed away now, but he was a writer. One of the things he said is, what comes out when you get bumped? I don't mean you're walking down the hallway and somebody bumps into you. When life smacks you, what comes out? So somebody's mean to you or, or cuts you off in traffic, so um, I know all of you are perfect, but confession. In fact, yesterday I, I uh, offered a comment to someone driving in front of me on the loop. <laughs> because as we came towards the green light, the car suddenly stepped on the brakes with no signal light or anything. And at the end of my drive, I, I, it was a moment where it made me realize, well, I'm realizing now on reflection, 
um, I guess I need to spend some time with God about the inside because it wasn't a blessing so much that came out. It's a what the heck are you doing kind of moment. That's a little thing. But what happens when life gets, gets really hard? Or somebody does something to you, or something goes on, what is it? That comes out. That gives you maybe a sense of the kinds of things that are going on inside. So how do you how do you treat people? What are the kinds of words that, that come out of your mouth? I remember uh, one summer. I worked part of the summer. It was a, it was a tough summer. I had a summer job. I was at university. I had a job all lined up. I was going to come home and, and work construction. I was so excited. I was looking forward to it, leaving essays and lab reports and reading and all that kind of stuff behind. And I was going to spend the summer with that hammer and screwdriver and, and doing this construction kind of work. And I came home and discovered the whole contract had fallen through and there was no job for me to have. So I got scrambling around and, you know, somebody knew somebody who bumped into somebody and said, and I, and I started working um, at a camper place, um, RVs. In the service department, I, I did PDIs on campers and helped out the mechanics and that kind of thing for a few weeks. And what I what was interesting was to watch the way this worked. And, and one of the things was that when you worked on anything, any camper, any anything at all, you had to charge it to somewhere, to someone. And we had these little strips of paper. You had to put your name and the time, whether it was five minutes, anything. And then you stuck it on the work order sheet. And then the customer got billed for every moment, every minute you spent had to be counted and billable for someone. As it turns out, friends of ours, and Veronica and I knew had another young couple that were friends of ours, and, and her, this other woman, her parents were good friends with the owners of this camper place, and they made an interesting comment. They're wonderful friends, but they would never do business with them. Because... Life is life, business is business. And I saw it. And, and I, I got, uh, my job disappeared partway through the summer. And I wasn't, surprising, I wasn't the first to get let go. Um, there were others, but it was because business is business, and there's no sense of compassion. And if, I, if there's a way to get another 20 bucks out of you, we're going to find another way to get 20 bucks out of you. That was the way they operated, because business was business. And that's a place where what was coming out of the heart shows that the gospel hadn't taken complete hold of that family, uh, of that couple. And that's the way that many of us uh, experience things. We experience it in others, but if we're really courageous, we can look in the mirror and discover whether or not that's true for ourselves. Is there congruency? Is there integrity? between what we say we believe and the way that we live, the way that we speak, our desires for other people. I mean, when somebody hurts you, is your first desire for justice for yourself, revenge, punishment to straighten them out? Or at some place, is there a desire for healing for them and change in their life? Wouldn't that be lovely to have that mature attitude towards people who hurt us? <laughs> Someday we may get there. So what Jesus said is, you know, the things that defile us, the things that separate us from God, the things that disappoint God, are the things that come from within. The reality is, all of us have something.
to be working on. So if you're here and you can reflect on something I said or something I didn't say, but you something came into your mind, said, oops, there, there's something there that's, that's making me stop and think. Well, maybe just the Holy Spirit is showing us something. But it's not cause for despair. It's not a cause to give up. God knows none of us is good. On our own, none of us is good. That's why Jesus came. All of us, at least to start with, are like a beautiful looking chocolate filled with strange tasting jelly inside. Unless you like jelly, I, that's not me. But God doesn't leave us lost. He calls to us and says, come to me and I will transform you, I will change you. And so it is that the scriptures describe exactly this place. Where God takes us and he changes our hearts. And it may take a while. It's a growing thing. In, in uh, Bible study, some of you know, in, on the Sunday morning Bible study, we were reading the book of Philippians. And part of one of the verses in, in this morning's, the part we were looking at this morning, come back next week, we didn't talk about it, so we can get in on this. Paul says, I know that God will work his work in you by the time Jesus gets here. That, that, that's my... Uh, summary of it. It's worth reading for yourself. Chapter 1, Philippians. I know that by His return God will work His work in you. So He calls us to that faith that God can change us. He can make us good. His goodness comes inside of us. And we can be changed so that when we get bummed, it's not defiling things that come out, but praiseworthy things. Things that glorify God. Things that draw others Things that reveal the love of God for us and for those around us. Sometimes people can see on you and see in you the very presence of God. Even if you're not perfect. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where some, it, it's happened to me, I, don't, I think not because particularly my character, but because of the clothes I wear. This, this little collar thing. I've been in line or, or being around and somebody will, something happened and, and they let off uh, some Colorful metaphors, shall we say. Some creative language, mostly using four letters. And they'll turn around, they'll look at me and say, oops, sorry. <laughs> I may not exude holiness, but something about the caller said to them that there's, this is supposed to at least be a holy person, and, and they realize that. But sometimes people look at you. Actually, if people know you go to church, they're looking at you all the time. And you are the church to them. You are God's message to the world. And the message that God wants is grace and love. So how do we get there? Well, James gives us some good advice, as does Moses. So Jesus said, you need to pay attention not to just the externals. You don't need to be really good at following all the rules about all the tradition of the elders. What you need is to take care of the heart. Give attention to the heart, to what's inside. So how do we do that? Well, James, in his wisdom, writes to us. If I can just find where I'm supposed to be. Every generous act comes from God. In fulfillment of his own purpose, speaking of God, 
He gave us birth by the word of truth, so we would, we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God's intention is that by his grace, you would be a revelation, that you would be reborn, remade, that your heart becomes different. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. With meekness, welcome the implanted word. God's word that he speaks to us. Jesus himself is described as the word. Welcome God's presence and his word with meekness. <clears throat> Understand what meekness means. It means we know that we need it. We know that we honor it. And we know that it's boss. That's what meekness means in, in, in that case. And he goes on to describe the character of what a Christian should look like. And he calls us to give some attention to these things. And as we are able with the grace of God to choose not to react, but to respond out of grace. And James says you need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. In other words, what really impresses God isn't if you got a whole thing memorized and could pass any kind of theology test on it. What God's looking for is... How has it changed your life? Have you welcomed it? Have you given it authority to speak to you? To change what you do and what you say? Where you go? How you live? How you think? And that's something that he gives us the grace to live out. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand it and to live it and, and to allow it to speak into our lives. And the best way that that happens is by immersion. Not just in an encounter once in a while, but a constant diet. That some, some people have, have theorized, I've never lived this way, that the best way to eat isn't you know, one big meal and two little ones or three meals or whatever it is, although that tends to be my pattern, but to eat little things all day long. Somebody said that once was a great way to live. But that's true, very much of, of, of our scripture. Instead of sitting down and trying to read a whole book once a month, read five or ten verses a couple times a day. Just little bits, so that it's always present, always speaking to you. And over time, it starts to sink in. If you want to be really daring, many of you have a, have a prayer book, your own prayer book, say the daily office. You don't have to even say it out loud. But just as you read through it, uh, by the dean of the... the uh, previous dean of, of the cathedral in, in Pittsburgh, back home, used to say of Anglicans that they love the Bible because there's so much of the prayer book in it. <laughs> you see, when, when, our, when our prayer book was put together, the prayers that, it, that are in it, so much of it is scripture set as prayer. If you pray the prayer book, you are praying scripture. So if you go to the bookstore, you buy this book about praying scripture, they're just catching up with where we've been for a few centuries. But if you actually take the time to read that and read the, the, the verses for the day, it takes 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you'll just soak it into your being. The way our 
our spiritual life is designed as, as Episcopalians is that it soaks into us. It's not bad that we have this memorized. It's supposed to become a part of your very being. So that you hit a moment, have you ever, I don't know, maybe you've had that experience, you hit a moment in your day, a moment of trouble, something you're not sure, and all of a sudden this something from the prayer book or something will just come in your mind and it's just there. That's when it begins to soak in and change us. But we have to welcome it. Because you can know it, you can memorize it, and still push it away. And that's what Moses was saying, that's what James was saying, how we get to be what Jesus asks us to be. <clears throat> Moses said, look, you're going into the promised land. You need to do what God has told you to do. He said, the words, the commandments I've given you, don't forget a single one of them. Don't add to them and don't take away from them. That's meekness. We don't edit the scripture to suit who we already are. But the scripture edits us and forms us. So, God wants you to be a delightful chocolate that he enjoys and that he can give to others to enjoy. Just to use that picture again. God, God's desire is for you to be a holy person. And it's impossible for me and it's impossible for you on our own. But God gives us the means to he calls us to live together, to encourage one another, to pray together. And He gives us His own presence through the Holy Spirit to take His Word and to transform us. And so that's my prayer for me and for you, is that we would be transformed by the power of God and that His Word and living in His Word would take hold of us and change the way we think, the way we speak, the way we live. And as God highlights something for you to spend some time on, he never highlights it to, to condemn you and smack you over the head with it. If he highlights something, like what you might say when you drive, it's so that we can bring it before him and say, okay, God, would you change this in me? I'm willing to be changed. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you again that you give your holy word to us. That you don't just call us to be like you, but you give us the means to do. But Lord, as we look at your word and as we think about our lives, we know we're, we're not able to do it. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and that you fill your people. And so we give you ourselves today and we ask that you transform us by your presence. That you be glorified in us. That your righteousness would bear fruit within our lives. And that the world would see you. But Father, that you would be pleased with us. And that we could rejoice in your presence. Jesus Christ.